What is going on everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Daniel Teaches Experience. Folks, we got a lot of fun stuff to cover today. I know I always say that, but it's because I always have fun stuff to cover. To cover. To cover. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this bad boy. So, thank you very much for joining me, for listening to this on Apple iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your support. I thank you very much for listening. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Before we talk about anything else, I do have to mention the... Israel Adesanya versus Jan Blahovich fight. Did, did you folks see it? Maybe you saw highlights, maybe you heard about the result. Well, what did you think about it? For anyone who did not see it, I'll give you everything that you need to know about the fight. Basically, Israel Adesanya moves up in weight class to fight a guy at a bigger weight. The story of it is you got speed and technique from Israel Adesanya, undefeated middleweight champion versus Jan Blahovich, a guy who doesn't have the sexiest record, but he's got that legendary Polish power. Fight begins. And Jan was very smart because he didn't follow Costa's game plan. He didn't follow Yoel Romero's game plan. He didn't stand back, right? He didn't stand back and be so passive and be so defensive. He came forward. Now, he actually did something that I didn't expect either. He wasn't too aggressive. He didn't make it dirty. I thought he was going to come in and uh, Kelvin Gastelum style, you know? Close the distance. If you're fighting a kickboxer, you don't want to kickbox the kickboxer. You don't want to wrestle the wrestler, right? I thought you were going to come in and smother him, pin him against the cage, make it dirty, you know, dirty boxing and give it to him. Jan actually, he, he did really, really well, if you think about this thing, playing out over 25 minutes, right? He, he was defensive, he was conservative, he would throw shots, right? It was that balance of he was still throwing shots, he was landing more shots in, in a couple of rounds, but it wasn't reckless. He didn't leave himself exposed. Israel Adesanya said himself, he said he was, he was very good defensively, he was tight. Um, a, definitely a big part of the fight was him checking the leg kicks from Adesanya, that was huge. Adesanya was throwing a lot of feints, a lot of feints, just bobbing and weaving and moving his head. And at some points they helped him out, but at other points they were detrimental to him for the rest of the fight. I'll tell you what happened. The, the first round, you could argue Adesanya had that in the bag. For 25 minutes straight, it was basically just a, a technical fight. Right? It was you hit me, I hit you, you hit me, I hit you back and forth. Jan landed some good jabs, Izzy landed some good jabs. Nothing crazy, no one was wobbled, you know, no one was stunned, there wasn't a big hit or anything like that. But it was very close. Really, really good game plan by both of them. Here's where things completely changed the trajectory of the fight. So I've already talked about Jan Blachowicz and him checking the kicks. A huge thing was in the fourth and in the fifth round, Jan gets these two amazing takedowns on Israel Adesanya. Now, this is what you have to know. For one of them, at least, I can say this for a fact, Israel Adesanya went full Anderson Silva on him. And what I mean by that is he dropped his hands completely down to his hips and he's just fainting. He's fainting to his left, fainting to his right, leaning back. Right now, you gotta be extremely good at this, right? You have to be very flexible. You gotta, you gotta be quick. You know, you have to have amazing reflexes to be able to pull this off. Anyone will tell you, you'd never drop your hands. So while Izzy's doing this, right? Jan does this brilliant game plan where he throws a jab, he throws a straight, and as Izzy's leaned back, folks, if you lean back, like, like imagine, um, I don't know, man, like imagine someone's gonna poke your nose and you lean back, right? What happens is you put all your weight on your back foot. And it's, there's a very specific way that you're positioned with respect to your balance. Jan throws two punches, gets Izzy to lean back, and when he sees his balance compromised, then he shoots him for a beautiful takedown. And again, the timing, excellent. The angle, excellent. Izzy's already leaning back, and it's hard. Not to mention Jan has the weight advantage, takes him down, goes on top. And really, it wasn't crazy ground and pound. I believe one or two judges at the end said, it, said there were a couple of 10-8 rounds. Completely BS. It was not like that at all. There was no 
round, which was like a one-way domination by any means. It was close all the way up to the end. However, Jan was on top. He was controlling. You know, it wasn't mad ground and pound, but he did get shots in there when necessary. It, it was an interesting fight. It was an exciting fight. You know, and it really was, in my opinion, the difference maker was the takedowns. You know, it was the ground and pound. And it was Jan's defensive work. And then at the end, the decision was that Jan stays the champion. And Israel Adesanya does not become the fifth fighter in the UFC to hold both belts. Now, I hope that the story here is not, oh, Izzy couldn't get the job done, but it's, hey man, Jan is an absolute savage and you got to start respecting him. I get it, right? It's the, it's the division that John Jones left and Jan's just kind of a placeholder, but beating Israel Adesanya, giving him his first loss, 20 and one is a huge deal. He did something that, that Costa couldn't do, Romero couldn't do, Brunson couldn't do, Anderson Silva couldn't do. Anderson Silva stood with Israel Adesanya and lost, but not Jan. Now you can talk about power and weight and all that stuff 100%, you know, but I think for people who thought, oh, it's just going to be a speed versus um, power matchup, I think they were proved wrong tonight and they were really surprised by Jan's technical ability. So I know that was short, but folks, that's really, I think, the, the biggest factors to take away from that fight. Of course, there are little nuances here and there, but I think those were the big ones. Again, if you saw the fight, do you agree with, with everything that I just said? Do you disagree? Was there anything that I missed? So let me know and I'd be curious to listen. All right, now that we got that bad boy out of the way, let's talk about something that's been near and dear to my heart for a long time now. Folks, a couple years ago, I started reading self-help books. Now, self-help books. What is a self-help book? This is going to sound crazy. It's a book that's designed for you to help yourself. Wow. So, psychology shows, right, that when you want to fix something, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to try to help yourself literally. If you have a problem, you're going to try to do it yourself. If you can't do it yourself, you're going to slowly take a step and it's going to get more external as you progress. For example, you're sitting there doing a math problem. If you don't understand, you're going to sit there for an extra couple minutes try to figure it out. If not, you might Google it. If not, you might ask a classmate. And if nothing else works, then you'll ask the teacher, right? It's a slow progression. You got stomach ache. What's the number one thing that people do? If they know what to do, right, they'll drink mint tea or whatever, or they'll take it easy, they'll lie down. The next thing that they do is they'll go online, Google, you know, home remedies for stomach ache. Again, that's kind of your self-helping, even though it is with the help of the internet, it's still not reaching out to a professional. After that, then you might take another step forward. You ask your parents, you ask your friends, hey man, what do I do about the stomach ache? Then the final stage is, all right, I'm going to go see a medical doctor about this. So do you see how it's, how it's in steps? Now, self-help has this very kind of attractive theme to it. And it says, hey, do you want to be rich? Do you want to better yourself? You know, do you want to reach your dreams and, and do you want to be disciplined and patient and hardworking? Read these books and we will help you do that. So at the age of 17, as a young man who is very, very driven and very motivated to go out there and be the best that he can be, he starts reading these self-help books and they're great and they're awesome. But slowly you start reading them over and over again and it's like, man, you know, it really is the same idea, just rerun over and over and over again. Every once in a while you find a good one, you're like, whoa, this is really interesting. But a lot of the time it's just mindset, discipline, patience, hard work, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. So I've read a bunch of self-help books and in the future, I'm a, I will do, I'll try to do a review about every single one that I've read so I can give you my honest opinion from a psychology student's perspective and be like, hey man, this book is worth your time to look at or no, stay the frick away from this book. It's an absolute waste of time. It's a complete scam. Do not read this book and I'll be 100% honest. Right when you're a psychology student, and folks, I throw around psychology student as if I'm like a PhD candidate, you know, 
and I have an internship coming up. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a third year psychology student, right? So you would argue when you've been studying three years of anything, and technically I started studying back in like grade 11 of high school, but bear with me here. You learn the fundamentals, right? You have an idea for the basics. That could be in music, that could be in martial arts. If you've done three, four, five years of anything, you should have a good foundation for the basics. There've been a plethora of books that I've read that I've thought, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. Or, oh, this is actually really useful. And there's also been lots of other ideas where I'm like, dude, like there's zero evidence to support anything that you're saying. Or I have not once come across anything in the literature that backs up what you're saying right now. But you're saying it as a fact. And people who are not in psychology might not be able to call you out on it the way that I can call you out on it. So that's why I think it's really, really important. So again, this isn't, hey, don't read self-help books, but this is just a, if you're going to read self-help books, the only way that you can benefit from them is if you read them and then you apply whatever they say to your life. So for example, let's say you read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You read that book. It gives you a couple of tricks how to talk to people. Then you implement those techniques in your life. And then you look back and you go, okay, did this work? Did this action give me the desired outcome? If yes, great, awesome, you're doing something with it. The irony of self-help books is that it's like, dude, how do they make money, right? If I'm a person who depends on this idea that you have to get better, I have to just dis- dis- create a discrepancy between where you are and where you could be or where you should be or where I think you should be. Because if you're completely happy and satisfied with yourself, you'll never buy a self-help book. You'll never buy an online course. I have to convince you that you can be better and I have to convince you that I have the keys to help make you better. That is the marketing behind every single self-help person in the world. I don't care whether you're Ty Lopez, I don't care whether you're Grant Cardone, whether you're Dan Locke or a bunch of those other guys, that is what everybody uses. There is a problem in your life, lucky for you, I can fix it for $999 for my online course. But for you, I'm going to give you a discount. It's only $699. You're welcome. So you got to be careful. You want to improve yourself. And I feel like a huge target that, a huge target for these guys are guys like myself. And again, women as well. But I think there's this like, there's this kind of in this weird component and I want to focus on guys, especially where it's like, yo, if you're successful, you got to have six to 10 models around you. You got to have two yachts. You got to have a mansion house. Like, dude, who says? But why? That's your definition of success. Does that mean that's my definition of success? God forbid we have two different definitions of success. And I'm just comfortable with my life and, and my family and my regular car, you know, but they look down on you. They're like, oh, you have a nine to five? Like, what a schmuck. It's like, dude. Not everyone should be a business owner. Not everyone should be an entrepreneur. That doesn't make any sense. The same way that I spoke out when they were like, yo, everybody should go to med school. Like, the hell they should. No, they should not. The other people, those same people are being hypocritical and being like, well, everybody should be a business owner. But no, that's terrible advice, man. Everybody should become self-aware. Speaking of self-aware, the journey of self-awareness exercise is out now. You can type in the journey of self-awareness exercise space. Daniel teaches and you can get it only $5 USD. Change your life. You like the little plug-in? That was smooth, wasn't it? Anyways, so a lot of people, they will use self-help, unfortunately, in books like this to kind of fit their own agenda. And a lot of these books, like $10, $15, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can spend 10, 15 bucks. It's actually a setup. So you could call it, it's the jab and they're setting you up for the right hand. Meaning you read the book, you read the book. 
and they say a couple of things that really resonate with you and you're like, yo, like this is awesome, I really like this person, you are more likely to then buy their course or pay for their coaching or, or do something else. This is a proven technique in psychology known as, I believe, micro-guessing or getting your foot in the door, I wanna say. No, I feel like it's micro-guessing. Basically this idea where if I can get you to say yes once, it increases the chance that you're gonna say yes the second time and the third and the fourth and the fifth. So that's a huge thing that they do. Again, in the future, I will go over some self-help books. I will go over, I'll try to go over all of them, even the ones that I don't like for you so I can tell you which ones to avoid. If you don't read self-help books, good for you, that's amazing. If you read self-help books, I'm interested to know, you know, has there been one that's really stood out above the others and why? And uh, secondly, you know, are there some books that you also read that you're like, yo, this is such a waste of money. Like I literally learned nothing from this. The number one reason why I'm, I'm super, super skeptical towards self-help books is it is not evidence-based. Meaning, literally, I could write a book tomorrow based on how to manifest an abundance of money and triple your salary. Write a book, send it to a publisher, and they'll have an editor and publisher and all that stuff, but guess what? There's no scientist there. There's no psychologist there. There's no researcher there that's gonna try to back it up and figure out if what I'm saying is actually accurate from a psychological perspective. There'll be an editor for just articulation of sentences, but there's no one's gonna back it. No one's gonna double check my science. So they give me the benefit of the doubt. Meaning any schmuck could literally write a book, the 10 laws to exponentially grow your wealth. Well, based on what mother lover? Based on what? I know you're saying, Daniel, man, what's up with the attitude? Listen, these people are playing with your money, okay? Money, it, and, and the amount of people that you hear about getting scammed, it's, it's so sad, dude, it's so sad, because it's like they dangle success in front of you and health and, and um, like for example, it's like, hey man, they'll say, hey, you gotta read this book, Think and Grow Rich. You read it, Think and Grow Rich is all about, let's say, persistence, going after it, not letting barriers stop you from achieving your dream. Then he's like, hey man, I got this course out, it's 200 bucks, it's gonna change your life. And then you start thinking like, ah, I don't think so, man. 200 bucks is not worth it. And then they go, hey, you love your mama, don't you? Yes, yes, I do. What if you could buy your mama a house, huh? Pay, pay for her mortgage, done. How happy would she be? She'd be extremely happy. Don't you want to do that for your mom? Of course I want to do that for my mom. Take this $200 course and you can do that for your mom. And you're going, uh, you're like, are you telling me your mom's not worth $200? You're going to let $200 get between you and your dream? <laughs> Pathetic. You see what I did there? I can't tell you how many YouTube ads I've seen that, that, that are, because the bad thing is I look at a lot of these entrepreneurs and, and quote unquote other life coaches to laugh at them. And I get these ads that are like, you know, I used to be pathetic, poor and useless like you, but then I found my mentor. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, go yourself. Who's poor, pathetic and useless, bro? You are poor, pathetic. Don't look at me. You don't know me. <laughs> you know, what the hell, man? Right? It, it was, I believe it was, um, I heard this online somewhere. They were like, hey man, there's two ways that someone's gonna sell to you in that world. Either you're a poor, pathetic loser and you need something and, and they're gonna use fear to push you to, to, to buy something. Or it's like, hey man, you're happy, your life is amazing and I think this could help benefit your life even more. Like this would be absolutely amazing for you. This would give you even more value than you already have. So it's either trying to keep you away and focusing on the negative and hey man, you don't wanna you know, end up in debt, take this course, as opposed to hey, if you're a happy person, take this and it can make you even more happier. You know, it will amplify everything that you're already feeling. So those are two big things to look out for. But again, the evidence-based thing is just is so huge for me.
You know, it's like, what have you done? What have you written? You might notice in the back, you might see this book, 12 Roots for Life, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. You know, this is an example of a book where before you buy said book, you look at, all right, well, who's the author? What have you done? PhD, clinical psychology, okay. Oh, you taught at Harvard? You taught at University of Toronto? That doesn't mean everything you say is right. That doesn't mean I'm gonna agree with everything that you say, but, but it's some, it legitimizes you, in my eyes anyways. That doesn't mean every book that you read or every course that, that you buy has to have the words PhD by the author. But what PhD signifies is saying, hey man, someone other than himself and his wink wink testimonies have said that this dude is legit, that he's had minimum of 10 years experience in the field, that he's published a study, meaning he ran an experiment, he published said findings of that experiment, then other scientists slash professionals looked at it and said, yep, looks good to us. That's what that means. And even then, I wouldn't take it 100% as a fact. But I would totally take it over someone who's just saying, I feel like if you feel depressed, you kind of just got to manifest the way you're put. Like, whoa, based on what? Based on what? Now, this leads me to something else. Folks, have you ever heard of NLP? NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. NLP is, is this kind of umbrella term for a bunch of uh, therapy techniques. So there are a lot of people out there and they're kind of like mindset coaches and they'll be like, yeah, like, you know, I studied NLP, like a six month certification in NLP. Basically folks, Neuro Linguistic Programming is exactly like Scientology in the sense that when you first hear Scientology, you're like, oh, yo, Scientology, that must be totally based on science, right? Mm-mm. It has nothing to do with science. But that was smart that you picked Scientology in it, right? NLP is the exact same. It's called neurolinguistic programming, but it is not based on science whatsoever. It is 100% a pseudoscience. This has been proven in the literature up to date as of right now. If you go Google it, has it been discredited? Yes. And what I mean by that is you will not find a single study that will prove yes. You know, did these NLP techniques and they helped the client, it worked. There's not a single study. It's not that they didn't do them. On the contrary, they did them and they didn't find any positive results. Zero, none. Now, I want you to keep that in mind if you want to sign up with like an NLP practitioner or whatever. Now, what's important to note is this. Just because I'm saying it's a pseudoscience and just because I'm saying it's not evidence-based doesn't mean that there aren't trickles of good ideas in there. You know, out of their 10 therapies and techniques, you know, two of them might actually be based on something legit. And it's also important to point out that I'm sure there's people who have worked with an NLP coach and have said, dude, it's amazing. It's great. It really helped me. Just as I'm sure there are people who are in the Scientology religion, like our friend Tom Cruise, who would say, yeah, it's great. It's helped me. I'm not saying it won't help. I'm not saying it's not beneficial to hear, but I'm just saying Keep that in mind when you want to decide. So whenever someone says, hey man, what's your background? Oh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, just keep that in mind. For example, imagine I, I make a vaccine for COVID, right? You come up to me like, hey man, has this vaccine been tested? Like, I mean, not like that, no, but Billy and Fred said it worked. So, I mean, they loved it. You're like, oh, that, that's dope. But like, is there like, have you actually run tests on it? Like, is there studies to show that it works? No, but again, Billy and Fred, zero side effects, they loved it. It's like, ah, like you're kind of playing Russian roulette, aren't you? Aren't you a little bit, huh? NLP is the exact same. You're gonna find testimonials and people will say, hey man, it helped me. And, and I don't think they're lying. I 100% think you know, they're just the manifestations or whatever, or it, it, it was able to work for them and I'm happy for them and that's amazing. 
But again, there is no scientific backing for it. So you got to be like, uh, how legit is this really? Right. And the same applies for some of these books. You know, a lot of those self-help books, right? They have things written in there like they, they say it as if it's a fact, as if it's a well-known fact. But if you're reading it, man, especially if you know a little bit about psychology, you're like, I've never heard of this before. And you did not quote anyone like when you said this. This is not known knowledge, but you're saying it as if it is or as if it is like this well-known fact in the literature, but it's not. Right. And then you if you're like me, you go check it up and you're like, huh. I can't find a single study supporting what you just said, dude. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it sure is sketchy. That's all I'm saying. Furthermore, you're like, Daniel, why are you going so hard on the paint on these people? Because you deserve to know the truth. You deserve to know the truth. And as a psychology student who was once a self-help reader, who, who's also a life coach, so I talked to a bunch of other life coaches, I just want to tell you how I see it. And they're good people. I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're all scumbags trying to take your money. But I do think, unfortunately, sometimes there are people who are scumbags and they will teach people things that are not based on science. And when that happens, it's like, well, you just taught five people something and they're going to go teach that illegitimate technique that doesn't actually work, you know, and you just you breed them. So that's kind of where it goes to. And myself speaking, I'm a very practical guy. In life, I've noticed it. I like things very black and white. Obviously, it's not like life is black and white, but I like to object, objectively look at things, right? I like to look at things and know what I'm looking at. There's science behind what I'm saying. I like to look at literature. I'm not a spiritual person at all. You can ask all my friends. I got friends who are spiritual, and I like that because I like having people around me who think differently than me. That doesn't mean I agree with them. They don't agree with me, but that's okay. Point is, I'm a very practical person, and I lean towards practicality. So when I see people talking about things that can't be measured and there are no studies backing them, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to, to not want to say anything. Let's talk about astrology. You got a bunch of people who are fans of astrology. It's like, yo, you know that it's fake, right? Like, you know, it's not based on any science whatsoever. I'm not saying you can't believe in it, but it's like someone just made it up. It's like, if you believe in astrology, and I really hope you don't get offended by this, but it's like, you'd be the type of dude to believe in Scientology and to think that the earth is flat. No disrespect, but what you tell me here is like, Daniel, I will believe something if I find some correlation in it. If it makes sense in my head, I, I will follow it, regardless of if there's scientific evidence disproving it. As in, astrology is a pseudoscience. We know this. This is not a new fact. There's zero evidence to suggest that any of that stuff is true. That doesn't mean you can't follow it. If it makes you happy, man, it makes you happy. But the thing that really just, I mean, the, the point why I have to speak out is when you start giving advice to people based on something that is not true, that's when I got to draw a line. I got to be like, yo, yo, that's not okay. You want to believe it? You believe it yourself. Man, I've seen some of the wildest posts on Instagram. Like, I can't even make this up. Oh my God, I wish I was making this up. I saw one post, folks. I sent it to my friend and we laugh about it. And, and it, the post was like, like, folks, you know, if you want, it was something about like gambling. Like if you want to gamble in risks on the 6th of March, you know, your chances of winning get multiplied by 10. And you can harness even more power from the universe than you ever could because the 10th moon rises on the 6th of March. What? the hell are we doing? What are we doing right now? Seriously, what are we doing? 
You're telling people to go gamble because on this certain date, their, their chances of winning and taking risks is amplified by 10? Their, their results and their, their rewards are multiplied by 10 on this specific date because of a moon? Well, don't, don't you think that's dangerous advice? Don't you think you're gonna lead some poor people to hit the lottery or hit the casino because they're taking your advice, which is not based on any science? Who said? Who said this specific date? First of all, 10 times? Oh, like, geez, there's so many ones similar to that. They're like, you know, uh, if you're, oh man, if you're seeing this like video, it's a sign that if you take my new course, you'll be able to increase your vibration and manifest tenfold. And I'm like, increase your vibration? What the hell does that even mean? I know I'm sounding like a hater, but I'm being 100% serious. The, does that mean increase your vibration? For what? To do what? Who says? Did you just make that up? Oh, of course you didn't know you read it. Where'd you read it? Oh, you're on a blog. Who wrote the blog? Interesting. W what does that lady know? Does she have a PhD in, in um, spirituality? Is that, is that what? Oh, oh, she, she doesn't? Oh, interesting. How do you know she's not BSing you? Oh, you don't. Wow, that's, you're a very trustworthy person then. Or a very gullible person. Or a very naive person. I don't mean to be attacking you. What I mean to say is that people will use things like astrology to give out advice that could be possibly harmful. That could be really harmful. The amount of times I've seen like, girl, like you're a Libra, which means you got to do this today. Or, oh, you know, don't leave the house today if you're a Gemini because... You know, the horoscope said that something bad's going to happen to you. Like, what world are we living in? But at the same time, I shouldn't be surprised because there's people who believe in flat earth and Scientology. So it's like, all right, man, go for it. You know, I just, I don't know. It just, you make you shake your head, dude. It makes you shake your head. And again, for all the people who are going, F you, Daniel. I'm never listening to one of your stupid podcasts again. You know, it's like, you know, you don't have to agree with me. But you do have to be honest with yourself and be like, hey, science has not only like not talked about this, it's disproven this. This does not exist. This is made up and I'm choosing to believe it. But people will make correlations like, Daniel, that doesn't make any sense. The horoscope said that Aquariuses are kind people and my best friend's an Aquarius and she's a super kind person. That'd be like me going to you and saying something which is similar to this. Hey, did you know that August is the, has the highest murder rate of any other month in the year? It's August. Did you also know that August has the highest ice cream sales in any other month of the year? Therefore, ice cream makes you want to kill a mother lover. Wouldn't you look at me and be like, I don't know, Daniel. Um, I, they have something in, in literature. What is it called? They, they, have, they have this special saying. I don't know if you've heard it before. It's called, uh, oh yeah, a correlation doesn't mean causation. That's really, really, really important. But I, I don't understand. You know, my friend is a Libra and it said Libras are clumsy and I just saw a trip over a chair. Therefore, it's true. <laughs> believe whatever you want to believe, my friends. If it helps you sleep at night, that's great. As long as you're not harming yourself, as long as you're not harming the people around you, I got no problem with you. I'm still your friend. I, I will still talk to you. We'll still hang out. We'll still have an absolutely great time. But I will not lie to you and I'll be honest about how I see things. And you should be honest about how you see things too. I think that's the only way to grow. I think that's the only way to become better. I think it's the only way to have conversations. You know, if you can stand up and say, hey man, I'm a Scientologist and I'm proud. I think the earth is flat and I'm proud. I should be able to, or anyone else should be able to stand up and say, no, 
No, not at all. I, I completely disagree with you. You know, and I think that's a healthy thing to say. And you're saying, Daniel, of course, that's how normal people have conversations. But you'll be surprised at what actually happens. There's a gentleman online. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. His name is Steven Crowder. He's a host of the, I believe it's Louder with Crowder show. He's got his own talk show segment thing. And he has this, uh, this segment of his that really blew up for the last three years. It's called Change My Mind. Have you seen Change My Mind? Have you heard it? What are your thoughts about it? So for people who don't know what Change My Mind is, Stephen Crowder and his hooligans, you know, and his like people, friends, coworkers, they go out, they set up, you know, this, this table. In front of the table, they have this sign that'll say something quote, controversial, like there are only two genders or America's not racist or I'm pro-gun. And under that statement, it'll say change my mind. Now, in theory, I love the idea, man. For someone who preaches, you know, civil discussion, you know, let's talk about it. If I don't agree with you, the answer isn't I'm just going to avoid you. No, it's the opposite. Let's sit down. Let's have a let's have a civilized, rational discussion about it. And he does this on campuses a lot. Now, in theory, I like it. In application, I do not like what he's doing here. And there's several problems. Problem number one: when when you go to a college campus, right, and you're a grown man, right, you're looking at them differently. Chances are you're not looking at them as 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 equal. And, and you see this in Steven and in, in his demeanor. He can be condescending, he can be sarcastic, he can, he can interrupt people. And again, I'm not saying other people don't do that. There's been times when he sits down, he's talking about there's only two genders, and the other person, instead of making an argument, they get mad, they get angry, they cry, they want to call the police. So I get it, right? But when you, when you go into this mindset of like, you're a college student, you don't know anything, you have, there's no way you're going to change my mind, and I'm just going to make you look dumb on camera. It's like, dude, you're not actually trying to have a conversation, man. You're just trying to get clicks. You know, you, you want them to freak out so you can put a dope headline for like your latest YouTube video. And, and I get it from a business point. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's great if it's working for you. But if you really want to look at a logical, rational discussion, you can't look at And like Ben Shapiro does this too. You know, I think Ben Shapiro has got a couple of solid points. And I mean that. But when you start talking to, to, to students, right, talking to 18, 19 year olds, but before the conversation starts, you look at this person like you're dumb and you don't know anything. You have no idea what you're talking about. It's like. There's no need to even have a conversation because you're not open-minded. As much as you want to portray that fact, you're not. You're just not. So when he says, hey, I'm open to having my mind changed, but I don't know if I've ever heard him have his mind changed, ever. Like, not even once. So immediately that's like, yo, I get the premise. But ah, but see, it's tricky, right? Because he said, change my mind. Change my mind doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that he's open to having his mind changed. It's tricky, right? Because he's not saying, like, you won't be able to change my mind. Like, I bet. And then people sit down, and then he's like, see, I won. You won't change my mind. But indirectly, he's implying, hey, change my mind. I'm open to a discussion. Try to change my mind. But if you actually don't want your mind changed, it's like, dude, like, it's just really hard to have a genuine discussion with someone. So that's one thing that I do not like. Secondly, when you have a crowd and you have people watching you, it makes you act differently. Think if you're at a party, right? You're talking to someone about something, maybe you have a disagreement, and there's people watching you. God forbid there's someone who, who you like who's watching you, you know? Have you, have you ever had that, that friend that, that changes their personality a little when someone's watching them? Could be a really attractive person, could be someone that they view highly, you know, guy or girl. You're talking to you, and then all of a sudden, they just, their demeanor changes a little bit. You're like, dude, what are you doing? And then you're like, oh, she's, she's watching us talk. All right, that's why you're doing this. Right? It happens, right? Subconsciously, you just you act differently. It's different if me and you go out, we grab a cup of coffee, and we're like, hey man, so you're pro-life, talk to me about that, or you're pro-choice, let's, 
let's talk about it. Just me and you, no cameras, no audience, as opposed to me and you are having a discussion and there's 15, 20 people sitting there and maybe they're shouting and maybe you make a joke, you pan into the audience. It's, it's like, it takes away from that. It's two human beings having a conversation and it turns to, hey man, who can score more points? Who can get the audience to cheer for them? You know, who, who, can, who can look better in the debate, if you will. And I don't think that's cool. I do not think that's cool. I think that actually that hurts the conversation. You know, and I think it adds a different sort of pressure. So, and again, right, you can't blame them, right? People are walking by, they see you with a sign that says, for example, there are only two genders. They want to stand by, they want to say something, they want to watch. But he's had, he did, he's had, he's had had? No, he's had conversations in the past where he's just sitting there with a person and it, it goes by pretty well. Civilized, they both let each other finish, they don't interrupt each other. And in that sense, I think, hey man, the change my mind thing is good because it is a civil discussion. It is what you want it to be, right? The conclusion is, hey man, it's not about like, did I change your mind or not? But it's were we able to have a logical and rational discussion without being jerks, without interrupting each other, you know, without getting mad and shouting and all that stuff. So, you know, it has its give or takes. But for the general man, for the most part, personally, I think when there's a crowd involved, it's tough. It's really tough. You know, and now you would argue, well, you know, sometimes you have guys like Dr. Peterson and other people, you know, they, I believe Jordan Peterson did this debate with Sam Harris where they're on a stage in a lecture hall, you know, 2,000, 3,000 people. And they're debating back and forth, but, and even to that, I'd say, well, it's like, if you know the person, it helps a lot too, right? If I'm talking to a stranger about something that we completely disagree with is one thing, as opposed to a close friend, right? I'm not as likely to, to, to get emotional or to feel like vulnerable or to feel like I got to say something, you know, you're more relaxed, you're more calmed down. So change my mind. Have you seen it? Like, do you, do you watch it all on YouTube? If so, what are your thoughts? Are you a fan? Are you not a fan? Have you ever seen any of Steven Crowder's work? If you have not, I would recommend you to check it out. I think it's, it's worth looking at this kind of idea that he's trying to push forward. And again, I'm all for talking in discussions and again, love the theory, but the execution is not always how it is. But again, it, you know, it depends on two people. It's not just on Steven. It also depends on who sits down. Folks, thank you very much for listening. This has been another episode of the Daily Theories Experience. I appreciate your support. Thank you so, so, so much. If you're listening to this on YouTube, I appreciate every like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And obviously on Apple iTunes and Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the other podcasting platforms. I thank you so very much. Have an absolutely amazing day. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.